Hi, welcome to the Forks from Closet podcast. I'm James. I'm Marshall. And I'm Joe. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, YouTube, and ForksDrumCloset.com. We hope everyone out there is being safe during this uh, quarantine time. It seems like uh, some different bans are being lifted as of yet. I know here in mm-hmm. Tennessee, they've got some uh, phase one businesses that are beginning to open, and we are one of those. Yep. Um, as of May 11th, we are open to the public. I say open in air quotes. Uh, 10 to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, uh, we're going to be offering both our regular curbside pickup as well as the option to come into the store. A few rules like no more than 10 people. Uh, there's free demo sticks that you can pick up at the shop. Um, of course, there's four employees in the store at all times, so you can ask any one of them for assistance, me, James, Joe included in that. Um, we are still offering curbside pickup, as always. Um, if you don't want to come in the store and see our faces, we get that. No offense taken. Today on the podcast, we have our very own Joe Dorn. Uh, Hi. Joe, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. Thank you. So Thanks for having me. To everyone out there who is like, who is this handsome gentleman seated at the table <laughs> with these two schmucks? Tell us about yourself, sir. Um, my name is Joe. Uh, Joe Dorn. I'm originally from a small town in upstate New York called Clinton, New York. It's uh, about uh, halfway in between Syracuse and Albany. So just mm. give you some landmarks where you might recognize it. Uh, moved to Nashville in 2002. Moved away in 2005 because I hated the place and never wanted to come back. And then I moved back in 2008. Welcome back, sir. Why, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so did you start playing drums at a young age? Um, kind of. Um, I, I, I was very interested at, at a very young age. Um, I'm much older than people think I am. Um, the first time I really fell in love with drums was uh, I, I snuck out of my bedroom to watch the opening monologue of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And uh, his special guest that night was Buddy Rich. And Buddy Rich and Ed Shaughnessy, who was the house drummer mm-hmm. for the Tonight Show band, uh, had a drum battle, and I was mesmerized. So, so when did that? When did you get into playing? Um, I started taking lessons in grade school, but um, I've always been a little bit rebellious, and um, because they wouldn't teach me on a kit, I was like, "Screw this! I'm gonna do it on my own." And, mm. and I didn't even think about it for several years. Um, the uh, when I got into high school, my best friend and I we decided we would start a band. Now I didn't have a drum set. <laughs> he had a guitar. I didn't have a drum set, so I started playing the couch. Played the arm in the back of the couch, mm-hmm. and that was our first band. Him on guitar, me on the couch, and then we eventually brought in another guitar player. And then I finally bought my first drum. That other guitar player is like, this couch is not going to work anymore. <laughs> Actually, he dug it. Dude, the, <laughs> the tone on these cushions, bro, the tone. Yeah, it was a solid sounding mm-hmm. kit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That couch had great tone. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, my best friend, Jim Hartnett, he was, uh, he was on guitar. He had just bought his guitar. It was, a, it was a BC Rich copy. I don't even remember who made it. Mm. And he had a crate amp that was about this big and uh we started playing metal sick yeah thrash metal more or less Mm -hmm. yeah we were both 
uh, really into Metallica. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were still fairly new. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had been out a couple of years. And so Ride the Lightning album? Yeah, about mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I first... I first got into Kill 'Em All. We were in junior high, and and Kill 'Em All came out and blew me away. I'd never heard anything like that before. Still blows me away. Still blows me away. Mm-hmm. It's still my favorite Metallica album. Absolutely, it is just. Uh, it's one of those records that just transcends time. It, it's always good. That that's where my heart is. Old school thrash, man. That's, yeah, that's what I grew up playing. So, but uh, yeah, at sixteen, I bought my first drum kit. Uh, it was a CB700. I bought it for $500. Um, eight and 10 concert toms, 12, 13 rack toms, and a 14 in an 18 floor tom with a 24-inch kick. What was the color? Uh, it was piano black. It was a wrap. Um, eventually, later on, I took the wrap off and refinished it myself. That was kind of the start of a lot of mm. things that I'm sure we'll get into here, but... Um, Decided that I didn't like the black wrap. It was hard to keep clean. It didn't look classy enough. So I stripped it, um, put uh, put some mahogany stain on it, oh, finished it go. Finished it really nice. It turned out nice. Then I traded it to a bass player that I was playing with at the time for a 67 Vox Wyman bass that I ended up selling for $75 because I needed money for college. Uh, so All that put back into education? Come on, it was. Yeah. You know it. Yeah. Okay, so you sold your CB700 kit. Sold my CB700. What was the next one? Ludwig. Class. Uh, bought a, in 1988. Uh, let's see, 1988, I, I was working a warehouse job, and I injured my hand uh, doing something stupid. <laughs> but uh, they, uh, workers' compensation gave me a couple thousand dollars for lost wages, and I immediately went to the drum shop, and I bought a... Uh, Brand new Ludwig Rocker, 12, 13, 16, 22. Uh, again, black. And uh, that, that, was my, that was my kit for a long time, almost 10 years before I bought the next one. But uh, the, uh, again, it was a great kit, sounded fantastic, was always very, uh, was relatively easy to tune. Um, I always had trouble with the 13, so I never played it. I just did 12, 16, 22. And at the time, I was still playing metal. Mm-hmm. And people looked at me kind of weird because I was playing a three-piece kit and playing metal. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was. It was a little odd. Sure. But... Uh, you got to break the frame, bud. You got to break it. You got you to step outside the box mm-hmm. and kind of kind of make your own path. And, you know, at, at the time that I, I was doing that, um, you know, the Seattle scene hadn't quite come yet. Uh, you know, this was... Uh, by this time, early '90s, and uh, we were we were playing stuff like uh, Slayer, Megadeth, uh, Metallica, of course, um, Testament, um, Metal Church, Overkill, things like that. And uh, our guitar player came into rehearsal. We rehearsed in my buddy Jim Hartnett's barn. And he came up to rehearsal one day, and he had a cassette tape with him. And he said, boys, this cassette tape, and he's waving it in front of us, is going to change our lives. He puts it down on the table, and it's Pearl Jam's 10. And in that rehearsal, we sat there, and we listened to that tape and immediately changed the type of music we were doing. We, we went li- literally overnight from playing thrash mm-hmm. to playing alt-rock. Mm-hmm. 
and our popularity skyrocketed. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the band that we had started, which was called Floating Noah, uh, eventually began, began to be like the top or one of the top um, bands to see in that area, bar bands. I left the band to uh, continue college, and uh, you know they they carried on, uh, did a ten year run of being one of the top bands in that that area wow. to uh, to go see. What uh, what college did you go to? Um, my first well, I went to three. My first attempt at college was right after high school. I went to school for graphic design and advertising, and uh, I lasted a semester. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I never went to my classes, I always skipped to do shows at the radio station. I was a DJ, and uh, I had a metal show, and I, I would take I would take other people's shows, uh, if you know, like if they had to go study for an exam or something like <laughs> exam. I don't need to study for those, so I'll just take your radio show. So I, I would I would do all these other DJs' radio shows and spin records. Still, we had a CD machine; we rarely used it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, we'd. Been vinyl, and I do thrash, uh, metal, punk rock, all that stuff. Did you have a great radio voice? Like I did. I was the Reaper. <laughs> the Reaper. So, needless to say, I, I I was going to that school on a scholarship, and not I, anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> I completely lost my scholarship. So I, uh, I just, I, I stopped going to school for a while and I worked for a couple of years doing all sorts of things, everything from working in a music store to, um, I worked for a news company where I would, I would switch out the paperback books at different locations. You'll see the people like at Kroger that, that do that everyone. And I, I used to do that, except I traveled all over upstate New York doing it. Mm. And then uh, from that's when I decided, uh, you know what, I think I'm going to go to school for recording. And, uh, you know, because I, I, can, I can minor in music and I can go for recording and I can use that as a backup if music doesn't work out for me. You were already in the broadcast kind of yeah, scene. Yeah, I already, in fact, even, even after I dropped out of college, my, my best friend, he graduated from the community college we were at. And then he started going to a college up there called Utica College, which is part of Syracuse University. And he was doing a radio show there. So I would get done with my route and I'd drive to the college and I would do the radio show with him. His air name was The Wrath Child. <laughs> so we like once, maybe twice a week, we would do the Reaper and Wrath Child <laughs> show. And yes. we would spin metal tunes and we'd, we'd spin a lot of local metal too, because there was a lot of local metal bands up there. I mean, uh, like Jason Bittner is from Albany, mm-hmm, and a yeah. lot, a lot of his bands from that era were, were, you know, making records, and we'd spin a lot of their stuff. Uh, I mean, still right now, the New York rock scene is kick ass. Yeah, the, it, it's kind of funny. Up, upstate New York has a really strong metal scene. And mm-hmm. In fact, I think, I think the guys that Danny's playing with, I think they're from Auburn, New York. Oh, interesting. Uh, and you know, of course, it's all what we would call the Route Five circuit. Because all the clubs seem to be on Route Five, and that's where you would play. You, mm. Very rarely would you venture out from the the Route Five circuit because it right. really wasn't that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, from Albany to Buffalo, you can play along Route Five, and there's always a a bar, right, club, something willing to have a band. So yeah, I mean that area has a, a lot of great metal. There, there's um, it's a really really strong metal scene because there's really not a lot to do and there's a lot of angry people so did you play in new york city 
No, no, we never, uh, honestly, the only time, even in my, my later professional career, the only time I've ever played in New York City, I was part of a choir. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. You were a baritone? Yeah. Sick. Yep. I could see it. Baritone. But, um, you know, I, I didn't, all through high school, I didn't really, other than my band, I didn't do music. I, like, I didn't march, I didn't do stage band or mm. anything like that. Um, my, and I, and I really don't want to talk bad about anybody, but let's just say that the, the music director at my high school and I did not get along. You know, from basically from day one. What high school? What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> um, those who know, those who are watching, know. But and and what you know, everybody that was in stage band or in was marching liked him fine. Hmm. My sister, who's nine years older than me, she had him for band or whatever, and and she marched. Um, but uh, she liked him fine. Gotcha. But but he and I, we just always butted heads. Mm. So you never did like the marching band side of things? No. no. I, d- I did it once in like seventh grade, and but that was different school, different band mm. leader, and it just wasn't for me. The hell so, this? Yeah. <laughs> you said you were going to school for recording. Where was that? Um, I went to school for recording at, uh, at the time it was called Finger Lakes Community College in Canandaigua, New York. Um, it is now called... Uh, Community College of the Finger Lakes. Is that right? No, no. It's now called Finger Lakes Community College. It was Community College of, of the Finger Lakes <laughs> because we used to joke and call it syphilis. <laughs> CCFL, and it just kind of... Fantastic two-year school. Uh, my instructor was one of the assistant engineers on Kill em All. Get out. Yeah. And a uh, great man by the name of Gary Zefting, who is long past. Um, but there, there's... There's actually a few guys here in town that actually had him as a teacher, too. My, my buddy, Mike Grando, went to Finger Lakes. He's actually from Canandaigua, New York. We never met each other. We ran with the same people, mm-hmm. but we never met each other until we got to Nashville. And then, but, but he, he took recording from Gary. Um, Jeff LeCision, who it was Joe Diffie's manager, uh, went to Finger Lakes. He and I graduated together, and uh, he... he had Gary as a teacher, and there, there's a few others here in town that have, that have worked with Gary. Gary was a fantastic guy, great teacher, and the fact that he has, like, Metallica stayed at his house during the recording of Kill Em All, so lots of great stories. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> and if, if you read are. in the liner notes, there, there's a line in there in, in, the, uh, you know, in the thanks section that says, thanks to Gary, sorry about the house. You know, Danny's told me about that. Uh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. cool. And then from there, I graduated there in 92, and I went to uh, State University of New York at Oneonta, which is clear on the other side of the state, and I went there for music business, and I minored in voice. I took private voice lessons and did uh, the, the school chamber choir, which was an invitation-only choir. And that's where we would play places like New York and mm. go on recruiting tours for the college and try to bring high school students in and sign up. Ah, invitation only. Yeah. Um, so uh, when did that when did that bring you down here to the Nash Vegas? Um, now, my my sister lived here in Nashville from uh, in the mid '80s and lived here until um, 1991 or two, um, 91. 
and uh, so we would come down here to visit while she lived here. And I, I fell in love with the city then and not, had nothing to do with the music scene at all. This is before Tempo had been moved down to yes. Nolensville. Yes. Understood. Yeah, yeah. Went long before Tempo. Um, but uh, I, I just kind of fell in love with the town. It was kind of cool. Um, had a cool vibe at the time, obviously mid-80s, completely different vibe than it has right now. Um, but I got to see a lot of the cool places that are still around right now, you know, like the Parthenon, and, uh, but especially Forest Drum Closet. Um, and at the time, it was actually in the closet mm. at Corner Music. And um, uh, I bought one of those Promark ratchets those yellow handled ratchets we have one in the toolbox over at the shop mm -hmm. um paul sold it to me and i remember paul being extremely grumpy which paul we'll have you on here very <laughs> soon very soon <laughs> and and once you once you get to know and love paul you know that the grumpiness he's not that he's grumpy he's just He's just Paul. I have just <laughs> I have a grumpy story of Paul as well. I think it, I think it should happen back in that day too. Yeah, probably, but uh, you know, I, I was always like, you know, Forks Forks a pretty cool place, small as it is, you know. And then of course over the years, Forks has grown. And by the time I got here, it was in the location that it was over on Twelfth Avenue. Um, but yeah, so I be, after after college. Um, a buddy of mine from college and I, we moved to North Carolina. We moved to Charlotte. Uh, we sat around one night back home. I was selling cars. He was selling photocopiers or something. And we were commiserating the fact that we hated our jobs and we needed to do something different, get out of New York and find some place where we could grow. So we're drinking Guinness, throwing darts, and we have a map on the dartboard. And we both kind of hit near Charlotte. So he's like, all right, I got two weeks vacation coming up. I'm going to go down. I'm going to check it out. So, okay, cool. And I'm sitting in my cubicle. I was a car salesman. <laughs> I'm sitting in my cubicle at the, the dealership, and I get a call on a Saturday. And it's my buddy, and he says, I'm here in Charlotte. He's like, let's do it. I said, okay. Two days later, I turned in my resignation. A week later, I was living in Charlotte. In fact, he still lives there. He and his wife still live in Charlotte, and they love it. They, they both work for Carolina's Medical Center um, or whatever it's called now, Atrium Healthcare, I think is what it's called. Um, they're, they're both fantastic people. I love them to death. And, uh, you know, they've, they've definitely made Charlotte their home. Mm -hmm. And um, But for, for both of us, it was really just let's get the hell out of mm -hmm. New York. And... Uh, <clears throat> Obviously, Nashville was in the back of my mind, but I really wasn't playing much at the time, so I wasn't really concerned about coming here. Right. Um, I, had, I, I go through Being that that was probably the stigma. It's like, oh, if we're in Nashville, we got to play music right, or something like right, that. Right, right, right. And, you know, at that point in my life, I, I just, I, in, I mean, I seem to go through these phases now that I'm old enough to see patterns in my life. You know, I, I, I've, I've gone through these phases before. I just I wasn't interested in drums. I wasn't interested in playing. I hadn't touched my drums in probably two years. They were still at my best friend's house in the practice room. Another drummer was using them. Uh, Jeff Harrington, who used to be the rep for Soul Tone Cymbals, is also from my hometown, and he was playing for Floating Noah at the time. So <laughs> it was kind of crazy, yeah. And um, but uh, he was using my drum set, and uh, then uh, I ran into. Uh, I started searching through ads. I start. I got the bug somehow, and I started searching through ads for bands looking for a drummer. And uh, my buddy Dwayne, who uh, he was a 
youth minister at a church, and he was putting together a, a rock band just for himself, you know. And I, I, I called him up, knew nothing about him. Turns out he was from Oswego, New York, but he was living in North Carolina. So um, he, uh, he and I, we hit it off really well. And, you know, we're still best of friends. He lives in Buffalo now, and uh, we still talk music and still talk. Of it. In fact, I've gone up there a couple of times and have played on his records and, uh, you know, always enjoy that, always enjoy playing with him and hanging out with him. He's, he's a fun hang. So All these New York transplants. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but, and I always seem to find them. So, so mid-'90s, you're in Charlotte? In Charlotte. Um, start playing again just on a very small scale. Um, I was working at an ice rink. I was working at a, uh, a like a sheet music store and um, just started getting back into it and gradually started getting different bands that I was playing with. Started hanging out at the local music shop. Hmm, there's a pattern there too. And uh, the uh, my buddy Dwayne is the one that talked me into moving to Nashville when the opportunity came. And he, he's like, you know, you've always wanted to go. Why don't you go? Okay, all right, fine. And uh, I was producing a radio show at that point. Um, I was producing a radio show in Charlotte, and uh, I got laid off, and I decided, well, what better time? This was 2002. Good time as any. Yeah, so I I packed up everything that I had, shoved it in the back of my little red pickup and a little U-Haul trailer and trudged across the mountains and ended up in Nashville. Here we are. Here we are. Immediately upon getting here, I went to Forks. Um, literally the next day. Like, I got here, I went to bed, I got up, and I went to Forks because I wanted to see what had happened to it. Mm-hmm. And I was I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, it, it had grown quite a bit. Uh, Gary, um, of course, is uh, he's like an older brother to me now. You know, um, all the years that have... Uh, past and all the all the people and events that have passed through Forks. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of it and have been privy to a lot of it mm. uh, because I spent so much time hanging out there. Um, you know, I'd come in and I'd talk to uh, I'd talk to Paul, I'd talk to Alan, I'd talk to Jenny, I'd talk to Clay, I'd talk to Gary, I'd talk to Melissa. You know, and I'd, I'd just like I did when you guys met me. I'd come in and hang out. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I just. Yeah, I just love the vibe there, and I always have, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the first time that I lived here in Nashville, it was uh, it was a lot different. I had a different mindset coming in, um, and this this would probably be good advice for anybody wanting to come to Nashville is, you know, leave your ego at home. Because um, I thought I was hot stuff, and uh, I got schooled pretty quick. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I left in 2005, uh, like I said, I, I, I felt like I hated Nashville and never wanted to see it again. But really, it was just because I uh, didn't get what I wanted mm. out of it. You know, I was, I was being the, the spoiled brat. Um, come with your expectations high for yourself. Um, study, practice, um, be, be a good hang. That was something that I hadn't figured out yet. Mm. And it took me took me a couple of years away to figure out what I had done wrong so that when I came back in 2008, it was 
it was a mm. slightly different story. Because it's so. not something anybody really falls in. I mean, there are stories of falling into, you know, those kind of situations. But, I mean, the only people I ever play with are friends of friends of friends who, right. I've, who I've met before. You yeah, know? yeah. And that's, that's the, the big thing that people, probably the biggest misunderstanding or misconception that people have about moving here is, you know, oh, I'm going to kill him with my abilities. No, you're not. There's a million guys here that are better than you, and I will guarantee it. And everybody got skills. Everybody's got skills. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was honestly the biggest lesson I had in that. Uh, I was running sound um, at one of the clubs downtown, and uh, the band came on, and drummer gets on stage, and he's setting up and stuff. And he, he to me, he didn't look the part, and I thought, you yeah, know, what's this guy going to do? And he got up there, and he slayed it. And I went up afterwards, and I'm talking to him, and I, I'm like, so what's your name? He goes, oh, my name is Near Z. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, cool. You know, so you, you, it, it's one you never know who you're going to run into here. Um, you know, and that shouldn't be the impetus to move here. Um, you know, move here to do good, move here to, to further your career and work with some good people and make good friends and, and good contacts and, and, you know, don't move here just to meet people or run into someone at the supermarket because that annoys the people here. <laughs> it certainly does. But, um, dude, you see Jack White at Kroger, like, buying eggs. Don't go up and throw him your mixtape, dude. No. Don't no, do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> A mixtape? <laughs> Jack! Jack, I made this for you. I got this TDK for you. <laughs> Just kidding. Do you think Jack White does his own grocery shop? And you think he has somebody who does it for him? So the first time I got here, uh, I met I met some really good people before I moved away. One of them being my buddy Mike Zimmerman. Uh, he and I have been like brothers for a long time, and uh, he's he's goofy and crazy, and a hell of a drummer. Um, but uh, you know, we kept in contact even after I had moved away. So when I when I came back um, in two thousand eight. Uh, you know, I'd start hanging out with Mike wherever he was playing, and I started to meet people and started to, you know, get contacts from people that I might want to play with or that might want to play with me. And that's that's just kind of how it how it worked, you know. Um, well, and back in the day, word of mouth was just oh, yeah. the way, like there isn't posting a drum video about yourself. It's you got to go out, meet and greet, shake right. hands. Yeah. You really yeah. never know how you never how know. far that handshake is going to go and yeah. how, if you're kind, you know. People well, just... I mean, for instance, uh, the uh, uh, one of the artists that I was playing with here in town, his name is David Newbold. Uh, he's from Canada, uh, obviously lives here now, and he, he and I, we, I'll still play with him occasionally. Um, but uh, we, we played together pretty solid for about four years, and at one point, the incarnation of the band, we had um, two guitars, bass, drums, keyboards, and, and violin, or fiddle, as they call it here in Nashville. And um, the keyboard player, um, who lives just over here, um, he and I would go drinking after practice or, you know, just kind of hang out and talk. And he was, obviously, he'd been around for a while. He'd played with some greats, recorded with some greats. That's killer. Phenomenal keyboard player. Well, he and I were drinking whiskey one night in my kitchen, and he says, you know, we're just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of, 
I was in one of those moods where I was kind of bitching about stuff, and, and, and he just kind of leans back against the counter, and he's like, I need, I need to get you into the Chris Knight gig. And I was like, okay, sure, fine. And two weeks later, I get a call from Chris Knight's manager. That's so cool. <laughs> and so, so uh, you know, I, I get the call. He's like, so I understand you might be interested in playing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, I ended up playing with Chris for two, almost three years. That's killer. Um, but, uh, you know, met some great guys there, uh, great guitar player. Um, just had, had a lot of fun doing that gig. So you've been so, a you've been a Forks patron long before you were a Forks employee. Oh yeah, yeah. I man, I've been I've been shopping at Forks and exclusively since '98. Um, even before, um, well, other than the short time that I worked for Guitar Center, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it makes me shudder. Um, but uh, I mean, well, even then, when I was able to collect enough money from the meager paycheck that I got at Guitar Center, I would I would order stuff from Forks. Um, because I, I, I had shopped here once in between when my sister lived here in the mid-80s and when I moved here in 2002. Um, I had, you know, friends that would live here and move away and I'd come out and visit or whatever and I'd, I'd make, a, uh, make part of the trip, you know, going to Forks. So, I, you know, I got, I got, to know, got to know Paul and Alan and Gary really well. And so when, uh, when I moved here in 2002, um, it, it just made sense to, cut, you know, there was no other place I wanted to go to get my drum stuff. And then, uh, you know, then I came back here in 2008 and just, again, continued to hang out at Forks. And uh, finally, last year, I had my own business for about 10 years as a production manager. And... Uh, I decided to hand it off to one of one of the people that was working for me, and uh, I was talking to Danny, and we thought we'd give it a shot. So uh, I came on board. And, and if I can speak frankly, it has been a pleasure having you it, at the shop. It, it has been a blast being at the shop. So you're also quite the historian, just in drums in general. I've, I've asked you. I'm kind plenty. of a drum geek. Yeah, I. Yeah. I mean, me and you hit it off. I remember just. I mean much like everyone that started, I was the worst. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing when I first started this. I still don't know what I'm doing, but it was, it was nice being able to talk to, you know, someone older than me and just like geek out. I'm no Gary Forkham or Steve Maxwell. I, I'm not that knowledgeable about eras uh, about and, eras and stuff, but I, I, I know a bit. Hmm. Um, yeah. Over the years, I've owned a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of, a lot of drums that are long since gone that I wish I still had, and you know, a lot of them were older, you know, and uh, at the time, you know, when I had them, I didn't really appreciate, you know, like I can't tell you the number of of Acrolytes and Superphonics I've owned since 1986. I, I, I mean, hundreds. Oh my God. You know, at various different times, but I'd just sell them. You know, impressive. I'd, be, I'd be like, uh, "Yeah, I don't need this snare drum anymore," and I'd I'd sell it to someone, or I'd sell a kit, and it would, you know, okay, they need a snare drum with it. I'll just throw in that that superphonic, and who cares, you know? What's in uh, What's in the collection these days? Oh boy, um, I love talking about this because you know I, I I have an addiction myself to snare drums. Snare drums As are very do. addictive. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, I am a, I'm a huge fan of superphonics and acrylites. Um, I've got two acrylites at the shop right now for sale. And it pains me to sell them, but, you know, eating kind of <laughs> requires money. So <laughs> you got to. Top three snare drums in your collection. In my collection. Um, I've got, let's see, my, my top favorite. Um, it's 1969 uh, Ludwig Superphonic 5x14. Um, it was owned by Monty Yoho, who's here in town. He was or is uh, the drummer for the band The Outlaws. And it, this particular drum, he, he told uh, Derek Lewis, uh, he told Derek that this particular drum was on every Outlaws record, every Henry Paul band record, and it was on two Doobie Brothers records. Mm, the Outlaws, Knoxville Woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's awesome. Uh, Greengrass High Tides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, so now it, it took on... Sp- really special meaning because the very first concert that I ever went to was the Henry Paul band. And, and I, I haven't talked to Monty about it yet. I keep meaning to to send him a message or or call him or whatever, but, but just kind of find out the story. And I really want to know if that snare drum was at that concert Mm. because then that would just be huge. But I, with that snare drum, as he just as he traded it in is how I played it for two years with Chris Knight because I didn't want to mess with any of the mojo on the drum. And it's the only thing that I've changed. I've changed heads and snare wires on it, but I haven't cleaned it. I did change the throw off because I hate P85s. Sorry, Ludwig. P85s suck. Hmm. Um, Luckily, they replaced him with the P88, which is one of the best throws out there. Bam. So, um, but... Uh, I, other than adding the P88 uh, and new heads and, and wires, I, I haven't cleaned the drum. Uh-huh. I haven't done, like like you guys have seen how I clean drums. I, I haven't done that with this one. It's, it's still as it was, and it will always be as it was. I won't, I'm not going to mess with it. You said that was a 6.5 by 14? No, that's a 5 by 14. A 5 by 14. Yeah, 5 by 14. See, yeah. I, I like 5x14s a little better than I do 6.5s. I don't know why. It's some not the, the look. Some of those old school ones, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like, it's not the look at all. It's it's definitely more of uh, the way it sounds. I don't yeah. know. Because in 6.5s sound great, you know, yeah. especially they, they on they a really Superphonic. Yeah. But, like, there's something about an aluminum 5 that you just don't. Like, like that Gretsch Grand Prix 5? Uh, dude, yeah, I love that one. Sick, that thing dude. sounds 302 awesome. 302 hoops? Yeah. Nasty. Mm. So, so that, that 69, then I've got... Uh, my my next favorite, I've got a. Uh, I'm not sure the year on it, but it was uh, it was part of that estate sale stuff that you guys had, mm. and it's it's a uh, four and three quarter by fourteen Noble and Cooley Alloy Classic. Uh, the black Alloy Classic. Yeah, sick. That drum, the the artist that I'm currently with. I mean, nobody's playing music right now, so it's kind of hard to say mm-hmm. you're with any artist or mm-hmm. not because he heard that snare once and he's like play that every gig that's the one i want and i, I wasn't gonna argue because mm. it's a great sounding snare drum that's always super refreshing in any ba- whether it's the band leader or the band that's like you should play that one yeah i like the way that sounds yeah and and the alloy classic is just one of those snare drums i mean there's hundreds if not thousands of recordings out there of the alloy classic in songs you've heard um that 
you know, in, in that you have gone, man, that snare drum sounds great. Well, it's probably an LA classic or a superphonic or a recording custom or a Brady. Mm. Noble and Cooley, uh, the longest running drum manufacturer in history. Yeah, oldest American drum company, then Gretsch, then Ludwig. But um, the uh, then uh, so the LA cla- uh, the the um, superphonic, the LA classic. I've got and one of my all time favorite drums, uh, Tama. For in two periods, they made the same drum. One was slightly different than the other, but from 2002 to 2004, they made a a thicker brass shell drum that they called the G-Brass. It was a star classic. They called it the G-Brass. And it's a, it's a 6 by 14. And it's, uh, it's like 1.5 millimeter brass, so it's got some weight to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used it virtually on every recording I've done. Chrome over brass? No, it's it's black nickel over or nickel over brass. Oh, cool. Does it have the black lugs or no? No, Sorry. no. They're they're. It's a very light nickel mm. because it's not like, it's not like that. Uh, the brushed nickel, like that. Yeah, it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a little. It looks a little brushed, mm. but um, I've got I've got one of those. Absolutely love it, and honestly, it's the whole reason I still don't have a black beauty, because this drum has done everything that a black beauty could have. Does what you need it to. Yep, and and I've been in sessions where I've brought five or six snare drums, and the producer always ends up on that drum. So that or a, a superphonic. Mm. And then uh, I've got a mid '90s Sambaco built Slingerland, the the uh, blue, the teal. Yeah, the the teal, the teal, yeah. uh, whatever finish that is. But yeah, is but, it a four by fourteen? That no, that's a six and a half by oh, fourteen. Half? Yeah, six and a half by fourteen. Mm. Um, satin flame, the blue or teal mm-hmm. satin flame. That thing is gorgeous and it sounds great. I've recorded with it a couple of times already, and just one of those that I will never take out of my collection. So, and all those drums do something different. Yeah. Know? Oh it's yeah. All, absolutely. That's cool that you know what all those drums can do. I'm probably not going to do a metal gig with that slinger one. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's just not the drum. Although it would be very cool it to see be, that happen. Yeah, but, it'd be very you know. cool. Uh, it'd be very cool for me to get a metal gig again. Um, <laughs> hint, hint. You may not be the expert historian of Forks, but <clears throat> I'll just say you're very good at fixing and polishing and making drums tunable and uh, playable again. Yeah, thank you. That's um, been a very nice addition. That yeah, that's works, that's, that's kind of kind of one of my jobs at the shop. I, uh, you know, we we do have someone that does like the heavy duty repairs. Sam Baco does our, our heavy duty repairs. Like like if you need a drum shell rebuilt or bearing edges redone, we would send them to Sam Baco. I, I don't have that experience yet. Um, it, he definitely does. I mean, he's been building drums for years. Um, we're, we're still one of the only authorized repair places for Gretsch drums, and that's because of Sam Baco. And uh, Sam does amazing work. I've seen him patch holes in drums. He's turned water into wine. <laughs> and you can't even see where the hole used to be. It's amazing the work that he does. So the repairs that I do, I'll, I'll do, um, you know, I'll, I'll fix a throw, I'll retap. Uh, threads on on a on a bolt or in a you know something that needs to screw in, um, I can you know make a old drum look brand new. Um, but as far as like structural repairs and things like that, I'm kind of 
try to push those off to Sam. You're also quite savvy on the fabrication side as well, if I could say. <laughs> if you can notice our uh, our microphone stands here were built by our very own Joe Dorn. You should see a video of that coming very soon. Yeah, we, we did a video Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Some Not only how-to videos and build videos, but also probably do some product reviews and things like that. Maybe bring my, my friend Matt Iceman in to, to help with that too. Shout um, out to Matt Iceman. Matt Iceman. Joe, you also put together this lovely table yeah, for us. Yeah, this is. Uh, Would this you give is, us a rundown here? Yeah, this is actually it's a uh, it's a table. <laughs> now uh, the 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 base for the table is a twenty uh, two inch Gretsch Renown bass drum. Um, I used four Ludwig Atlas mounts that we had in the parts bins, and replaced four of the lugs and gave it legs. So that we could adjust the height, I got I got the tabletop at Lowe's, uh, you know, stained it, drilled the hole in the middle of it, um, you know, kind of kind of put it all together, and uh, you know, kind of made it made it work. This is made with love. It is because I, I love the shop and I love what you guys are doing with the pot. The I love podcast, this. So oh. and much like yourself, sir, it's well built. Why? Thank you, thank my you. man. Well, part of that is due to Gretsch. <laughs> Gretsch builds good stuff. So, they do. You know, the 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 base of the table is <clears throat> Gretsch. Um, I don't. I don't know whose uh, floor tom legs they are. I think they're DW, but they look like DW. They are they, black they, DW they are, legs. They are 100% DW <laughs> legs. It's, it's interesting to me that the Ludwig Atlas fits in a Gretsch bass drum hole spacing. Well, yeah, they're universal. Mm. So so the, the bottom the bottom screw on the Atlas mount is movable, and, and you can adjust it to virtually any, any hole spacing, virtually any. The more you know. Yeah. You yeah. work here? <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then the the mic stands. Um, you know, just kind of James and I were brainstorming uh, one day at the shop, and uh, I was like, I'm thinking about making some mic stands because rather than have those tall booms, and which look kind of awkward, I like the idea of having a symbol a, a stand as a mic stand mm. and but, having it on the table yeah, versus being drilled into it, the table. Exactly. Um, so um, James suggested the 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 CH830 Pearl, and uh, so I, I kind of looked at it and ran with it. I went up and saw our, our friends up at Corner Music, and uh, JD gave us a really great deal on the on the basses. They had four orphan uh, microphone stand basses that they weren't able to sell because mm. nobody wants just the bass. We'll take them. So, thanks, JD. Thanks, JD. Thanks, JD. Corner Music. Um, and, uh, yeah, he hooked us up with those. So, uh, and you'll see when, when we do the, or when you, when you release the, uh, the first how to video, mm-hmm. I think it'll be the first one. How it's made with Joe Dorn. Yeah. How it's made. Yeah. It's, uh, I've, I've always tinkered, you know, when I was, when I was a, a, a kid, I, I was a latchkey kid. Mom, mom and dad were divorced. I, you know, I'd get home from school and I'd be by myself. So, and, and my sister was much older, so she wasn't at the house either. So I would entertain myself by taking apart the toaster, <laughs> 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 which good. much to my, my mom's dismay, you know, it, it actually did benefit. You know, I, I was able to put them back together to where they worked still. And uh, Joe, the toaster's broken <laughs> again. <laughs> but uh, that, that got me into, you know, just creatively building stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money either. So a lot of it was improvisation of, you know, I need something. How am I going to get it? I can't go out and buy it, so I'll make it. Mm. 
so so I've always been tinkering mm. and and building and doing something along those lines. Yeah. Well, man, we appreciate you so much being at the shop and coming out here and talking with us and just yeah. being our being our friend. We love you, bud. Yeah, love you guys too. Absolutely. As always, tag us in your licks, your pics, your videos, your nonsense, whatever you're posting out there on the social media. We'd love to see it. Tag us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, also, if you have any questions or you know something you want to see on the podcast, someone you'd like to see on the podcast, any topics, drum-related or not, hit us up at podcast at forksdrumcloset.com. All right, let's jump into these meat and potatoes. Um, we got a question from Lisa Thompson uh, on Instagram. Hi, Lisa. She wants to know, how do you record drums on a cheap budget? It's a wonderful question, actually. I feel, like th- I feel like this has like, been a big discussion just as far as the quarantine. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Everybody's got plenty of time to, yep. mm-hmm. to sit at home and write some stuff. I mean, it all, mm-hmm. all kind of depends on what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Contrary to popular belief, uh, recording can be done with less than... 10 tracks you know you in in back in the day in in the 40s 50s and 60s i mean you're talking uh you know sometimes only two tracks mm-hmm. i mean un- until the beatles did sergeant pepper really nobody had really even considered uh multi-track recording other than than uh um les paul who invented multi-track recording right. as well as the guitar but um nobody was really doing it you know, then, then the Beatles and George Martin, they kind of embraced it. And everyone was like, wow, this is what you can do with that? Because if you put headphones on and you listen to a Beatles record, it's wild. It's got oh, like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and a lot of the techniques that they were doing, a lot of the techniques that they developed turned into standards for the way that we record today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even, even like late 60s, Led Zeppelin, they recorded the drums with three microphones. Mm-hmm. You, you had one mic at the snare, or maybe not even pointed directly, I mean, kind of away mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. You had a room mic, and you had, like, a kick drum mic, and that right. was it. Mm-hmm. I've done recordings before similarly where I've had snare mic, I've had a large diaphragm two feet in front of the kick drum, and then I've had an overhead. And no, you're not going to get true separation of toms, but you're going to get the image of movement and a lot of stuff you don't really, I mean, especially if it's a small kit, a little four piece kit, how much movement do you need? You don't need an awful lot of panning mm-hmm. on a four piece kit because it's just either here or here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like you got eight toms to kind of fit into a, a, a yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no sound image that, you, that they need to fit into. For sure. What so, kind of gro- what kind of groove are you playing? Are we just playing? Dun, got, right. Dun, and then, and, and if that's the case, you only need two mics. Only two. I would say, if anything, get a four channel interface. So just in yeah. case that you do run into something where you might need that extra microphone, then your problem is I can't record. It's I gotta buy another yeah. microphone. Yeah. yeah. And you know, as far as as far as like uh, as far as like. Uh, um, like if you're if you're talking digitally, then you gotta you gotta consider a, a DAW or a digital audio workstation of some sort. Now there are several programs out there that are free, that work wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, GarageBand comes free with every Mac, even mm-hmm. iPads. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. And and I mean Trent Reznor did I don't know how many Nine Inch Nails records and Trent Reznor records with just GarageBand. I mean some serious stuff. 
that's out on the radio that you've heard that you love has been done with GarageBand. Um, you know, and it, it's just a matter of getting the sounds into the computer, and that's where an interface comes in. And you can, there are, there are some decent ones that uh, aren't gonna break the bank. Uh, and when you get into the four channel ones, or the four input ones, it gets a little bit pricier, but not much. I mean, you're, up, you're up about 200 bucks at least. Maybe. Maybe. 150. Maybe 150. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, on the other end of the spectrum, there are some standalone units. Um, like, for instance, Korg made for a while. I don't know if they still make it or not. I don't know if Korg even still around. Um, but they made a portable recording unit. Mm. I mean, it was kind of like an all-in-one. Like a, a Tascam? It was kind of like a Tascam, yeah. I, I use Tascam yeah, ta all the time. I mean, I used to use Tascam four-track cassette those things are great they were fantastic for getting ideas down mm -hmm. hell even voice memos is great for for getting ideas down. absolutely yeah use your iphone if you yeah. want to not spend any money yeah you know and, and in fact there are interfaces that you can buy that'll go into your iphone your ipad mm -hmm. so you don't even really need to have a good computer i mean as right. long as you got an iphone or an ipad or a smartphone or a tablet but if you're also thinking you know longevity if you're thinking recording something you want to do you know maybe spending the extra cash on a four channel interface that will interface with your absolutely, computer absolutely. directly would yeah, be absolutely. whatever's forwarding your creativity yeah. and it's not more of a hassle to record drums you mm -hmm. know that yeah. that's what i find is very frustrating yeah. at the very least buy a sure sm57 for your snare drum um 99 bucks you can get them used for a lot less all over that are still functional still work fine those are pretty much the industry standard unless you get into some really high-end stuff. But as far as recording, as far as live performance, the Shure SM57 is the king for snare drum. 57s, 58s, you know, yeah. 52 50, on the kick. 58 like. sound fine on, on kick drum or sound fine on toms. I've actually, I've in the past, I've actually used 58s on a kick drum and it sounded fine. Mm -hmm. As long as you understand EQ, as long as you understand uh, how to make, because for instance, the, the frequency response of like a SM58 is around, I believe it's uh, 50 to 18,000 hertz, 50 hertz to 18,000 hertz. And your, your drums are all within that range. Now you may get some, you know, some lower frequencies like 35 hertz and stuff out of, out of a, you know, a microphone that's specifically made for kick drum. But you don't always need those, mm -hmm. you know, a lot. Of, I mean, 35, nobody's really hearing 35 hertz. You're feeling it more than you're hearing mm -hmm. it. Um, oh, I can feel it. <laughs> but you can you can find some great deals on used microphones, too. You know, uh, Audix D4, which used to be their kick drum mic. They now kind of uh, pass it off as their um, floor tom or, you know, bass guitar mic. But it was their original kick drum mic. And I've got one in, in one of my kick drums. I've got a little uh, Premier Janista 18-inch kick drum, and I have a, a D4 permanently mounted in there because I don't need a D6. I don't need a Beta 52 mm -hmm. in that size of kick drum, and it sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Audix D6 is a great mic. Beta 52 is a great mic. Uh, even the AKG D112 is a great mic. But it, it all depends on the sound that you're going for, and do your research and find the one that's more suited to the music that you're doing. Because if you get a D112 and you don't want an awful lot of attack... That's you're going to be doing a lot of EQing, getting that attack out because that's the wheelhouse that that microphone sits in. Mm -hmm. It's great if you want that click, that that Lars Ulrich and justice for all sound. Right? Yeah. Okay. You, know, you can kind of go anywhere you want. You really it's, can. It's, it's really more or less 
how much do you want to spend when you have that thought in your head don't buy new you know because i i think you're automatically going to be way above your budget yeah and you know there there are some budget microphones that are great mxl is mm -hmm. uh, if they're still around they make some great low cost uh condenser microphones i've got a pencil condenser that uh um i've i've had modified but not much um and uh it's it's an mxl that i paid 85 dollars for mm -hmm. and it's a wonderful microphone just from seeing a lot of different musicians Everyone tries to buy everything at once, mm -hmm. and I'd find that that's never the idea. Like you should, like it's, it's not a, unless it, you, not unless you're buying with intent, I right? Mean, if exactly. You, if you know exactly mm -hmm. what you want and you've mm -hmm. done the research, okay, mm -hmm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna buy this, 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 and this mm -hmm. today. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. But like but, starting from zero and being like, I want to record drums. Like that's a large chunk. Yeah, very, very. Off. You gotta I, get a kit. You gotta I get. Highly recommend. Like I said, the SM57. Get a decent pencil condenser to to kind of capture. Um, you know, your hi-hat and, you know, some some mid-level stuff and then an overhead mic, some sort of large diaphragm. Mm. And you can get some wonderful drum sounds. Mm. Um, you know, I as, as far as the inexpensive microphones, I I mixed um, a show downtown. Uh, Will Hogue was playing and I mixed his band with $99 Guitar Center drum mic kit and it sounded great. Mm. You know, um, it it doesn't necessarily matter the microphone. It's how you how you. It's the right placement. Of yeah, that microphone. placement. I mean, you could have five thousand dollars worth of microphones, but if your drum set sounds terrible, yeah. like it's not going to do any good. Yeah, I think you'll find that you'll discover a lot about yourself and <laughs> just what you purchased. I've discovered a lot about myself. Recording at home, you know, you track something, you go back and listen to it, and it's like, is that me? <laughs> yes. I'm playing that? Yes, it is. Funny funny story about that. A, a buddy of mine, a couple of years ago, he sent me a recording, and, uh, and I'm listening to it, and I'm going, man, that's really good. I, I, I had no recollection of ever recording this song. I mean, it was it, like I had no remembrance of it whatsoever. It was the I, 80s, man. I, I was like, dude, that sounds great. I said, who's the drummer? <laughs> And he emails me back. He says, you're an idiot. He goes, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa, for the question. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck. Uh, this one's got some heat on it. Oh. Question two comes from uh, Jean-Cli Basqua on Instagram. Hell of a name. Yeah. French Canadian um, or French? I don't know. Or Creole. Creole. Drum covers are stupid, and so is Insta-chopping. Debate the pros and cons. Because this is actually kind of a touchy subject. It is quite touchy. There's a lot of guys out there who are posting drum covers and, yeah. you know, who love to just get on Instagram and shred. Um, and, and, you know, <clears throat> there, there's definitely a place for it. I, I am not, I have never been really good at self-promotion, so... That's you know doing doing a drum video is not something in my wheelhouse. It's not something I'm probably ever gonna do, and if it means the end of my career, then so be it. But um, it's just it's not me. I'll post a video of me playing with a band, but I'm but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just sit there and, and to me for me this is just for me. Um, when I'm playing drums by myself, I'm playing to better me to better my playing and uh practice to me has always been something that is best done 
away from other people. Definitely. I would agree. And there's also, there's also the other side of that as well, where, um, guys will post videos of themselves practicing. Yeah. And as almost, uh, as almost a way to fire themselves up to get better. Right. It's like, if I'm going to be posting more videos, I got to be better and post better videos. And, and there's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with videotaping yourself as you practice, mm. because that is definitely a good tool. I mean, we used to use videotape and hockey all the time where, where we would, we would watch tapes of past games or past, re- uh, past practices just to kind of fine tune. Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, kind of the same idea growing up, you know, they were always telling me, well, practice in front of a mirror. Okay. Where am I going to get a mirror like that? But, um, but that's so you can kind of see what you're doing wrong with your technique. And so video is very helpful in that regard. Now, as far as just doing drum covers, I, I enjoy some of them. Um, I, I, I think some of them are, are really good in, but it's, it seems, uh, in the drum cover land, if you go back like 10 years ago, guys that were doing drum covers on YouTube have some of them are gone, but a lot of those guys have transitioned into lessons and right. online studio stuff and um, that kind of thing. So they, they switched from drum covers into that kind of thing. I definitely yeah. see that as like a gateway yeah. into getting yeah, your feet absolutely. wet in the online market. Well, it, I think it, I think it's definitely a viable form of, and same with the chops videos. It, it's a viable form of getting yourself out there in front of people that you wouldn't normally have a chance mm-hmm. to get yourself out in front of. And, and people have done well. People have received uh, uh, deals from manufacturers because of their um, viewer counts. Mm-hmm. Um, or right. gigs from bands. Or, or you, know, you, yeah, cover exactly. a, you cover a band song and that band sees it and their drummer drops out. And yeah. hey, it, this guy I mean, plays our song great. This, this isn't drumming, but I mean, the, the guy that's singing for Journey right now was discovered because of a video that he had mm-hmm. up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this guy sounds like Steve Perry. <clears throat> you know? I think it boils down to what the musician is proud of. Right. They're like, they're like I, I worked really hard on this. I learned a lot from this. I think everyone should see it. And for that, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very, very happy that we are in the age of content to yeah. where, uh, because, you know, by, like back in the day, it wasn't like we could just, hey, take my video. You should watch it. It's like no one's going to take your VHS, shove right. it in there, and then give it back. Like those days never existed, you know. Right. We were, I'm, I remember just floppy disks where it's a way to <laughs> like swap music. And now yeah. it's, there's almost too much yeah. content. And I think that might be exhausting to a lot of things because it seems... I mean, drums, we don't play melodies. So there is a lot of insta chopping, as mm, they say. Yeah. And there is a lot of um, just fills and not grooves. And you're not playing to a song. I wish you didn't play to a song. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the, there's a lot of... I mean, there's, there's definitely the whole, the, the whole ego side of it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, a large, that's a large side of it. But, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, as far as... I mean, if you don't have a... Or if you're not with a band in the same room... It, drums by themselves, uh, unless you're Nate Smith, <laughs> aren't necessarily the most interesting to listen to by mm. themselves. Or Benny Grab. Or Benny Grab. I mean, I basically learned how to play by putting on the headphones and playing along to songs, which is essentially what what um, the cover videos are. I mean, you're putting on the headphones and playing along to a song that you've learned well enough that you're not going to screw up some of the, the licks, mm-hmm. hopefully, that, that are being played on the recording. So I, I kind of get it. 
you know, it, it's not for me. It's not something I'm ever going to do. I'm not going to come out with a series of drum or you know drum covers or anything like that. But I, I definitely see it as a viable form of getting yourself out there. Definitely. What kind of music are you into? We'll check out these covers that I just did. Exactly. I'm very into these. Yeah. I'm playing a band similar to that. That's yep. cool. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It can it can lead to work. You know. Um, it can lead to like you were saying, teaching gigs. It can lead to you know all sorts of things. Um, it, can all, it, it can also lead to some thumbs down. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes I don't even thumbs. want to comment on this. There's yeah. some haters, dude. There's oh, some haters. Haters Absolutely. gonna hate, dude. And yeah. I, again, I think uh, it's it's a little saturated. Yeah. I will agree with that. Mm. Uh, I like to think, and you know, this has always been the case in music. Like you've heard people say, "Oh, it's already been done before. Yeah. Don't even try it." I think that's Every, a, that's everything's a, already been done. Before. I, I, and I get that. That's a little jaded. And I, I, I definitely kind of understand that. But some of these guys are just trying to make a discovery for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, a way to get better. You know, if yeah. you're if you're set on wanting to do like wanting to do drum videos and editing them. So like doing covers and putting those videos up online is a great way to get started. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if that's something you want to do long term, mm-hmm. that's that's something mm-hmm. to think about as well. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Basqua. Next question. All right. You want to read this one to Mr. Joseph? Oh, no. This one comes from our very own Will Grenley. This one comes from an employee, <clears throat> a great friend to all three of us. He's asking you this, by the way. Oh, and you okay. have not seen this question. No, I, ha- I haven't seen any of these oh, questions. So. Okay. Yes, his name is Will Grenley. Will! Uh, Joe. Ice skates or rollerblades? In my personal opinion, ice skates. Um, sorry, Marston. No, I I love ice skating. Well, I, I used to manage a, an ice rink in Charlotte, North Carolina. We've talked and, about this. And I I would have to be there very like before five a.m. because of figure skaters. We'd get on the ice at five and start tearing up the ice. Sorry, figure skaters. But um, the uh, it's a figure skater speech. Yeah. Well, they we always used to yell at them for tearing up the ice. They always used to yell at us for tearing up the ice. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. But uh, and you were a goalie, right? Yeah. Play, yeah. You played yeah. hockey. I, I played uh, primarily throughout my career. I, I played goal. I did play forward a couple of times, but uh, just for fun. Yeah. So definitely ice skates. Yeah. Defi- like definitely ice skates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was managing that ice rink and I and I had to be there that early, I'd get there an extra hour early, so I'd get there at three a.m. and I might had as well to, just stay up, dude. And, and I I had the ice to myself just to for put an on them hour. boots, and I'd it. put on my skates and I'd skate for like an hour and a half, and then I'd take off my skates, get on the zamboni, clean the ice for the figure skaters, and does the zamboni really go that slow? Yes. Wow. You, well, you have to, otherwise you drive right through the wall. I actually don't know how a Zamboni works. It really just melts the ice and refreezes it, right? Technically, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it puts it... <laughs> okay, so... It's a Zamboni! <laughs> the, the Zamboni, it, what it does, the, there's a razor blade underneath that shaves a very, very, very thin layer off and then lays down a very, very thin layer of hot, and I mean hot water, over it, and it uses a like a, a towel of sorts. It's a little heavier than a towel. But that's dragged behind there, and there's little uh, valves at the back of the the, uh, the, the zamboni mm-hmm. that squirt water, mm-hmm. and so the water is constantly pouring as you're going along. And then it, it refreezes behind you yeah. as the ice. Yeah, cold. and the reason they use hot water is hot water freezes. Uh, when it freezes, it freezes smoother. Oh. Um, it's like when you boil water and make it into ice cubes. Like the ice cubes are super, super clear. clear. Yes. Oh. Yep. 
Zambonis are great. Now, I will say what I drove was not a Zamboni. It was, it was an Olympia ice resurfacing machine. No, and Zamboni is a Zamboni. More like a Zamphony. That's <laughs> it was vintage. Olympias are still great. They are the official ice resurfacing machine of the NHL. Ah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, ice skates. We appreciate everyone listening to these podcasts um, in these uncertain times in this pandemic. And watching them, too. And watching them, listening to them, quoting them. <laughs> I hope you guys quote us. That'd be really funny. Um, send us your questions, um, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. Um, what we, what should we be talking about, you know? Um, who should our next guest be? I know we've had a couple of different people in line, but... Um, yeah, we want to keep this ball rolling, and we appreciate everyone watching and tuning in and uh, just, you know, being with us in these weird times. I can't stress that enough. I I know everyone's not playing music right now so uh, or seeing shows, mm-hmm. which I wish I could be seeing some shows yeah, right now. Too. But uh, we're just making the best of it. If you got the time, shoot us a like, subscribe to us on YouTube. You know, we could definitely use the follow. Stay up to date with the shop. We post pretty much every day, so hit us up there. Joe? My, my, my senses are tingling. My, my, I feel like I, I smelled s- some suds. I on can the taste way. it on the tip of my tongue and the teeth but, and, and the I, lips. And know... Tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. The tip of the tongue, <laughs> the, the teeth, teeth, the lips. The tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Do you think any of the people on Letterkenny play drums? If I had to guess, I'd say Derry's a drummer. Uh, if anything, I would say that uh, uh, Stuart is a drummer. Stuart! Stu Art. Stuart! <laughs> <laughs> we love Letterkenny at Forks. Shout out to Letterkenny. So. What do we got right here? We got some voodoos? Yeah, I brought us some uh, New Belgium Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA, 9%. 9%, dude. Cheers, boys. Cheers, Cheers boys. I, lo- I love you both very much. Thank you, guys. guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. Uh. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Appreciate you.